airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. There's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Erin the Addisons here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, once again holding it down for the family. Will Addison on Erin the Addisons. One part of Erin the Addisons is my wife, Miki, uh, recovers from uh, giving birth to our baby boy, Timothy. We actually had an appointment today, and he's growing just fine, you know, putting on weight, so that's good. Uh, but I'm happy to be here with you, holding it down while she's out. Uh, you know, when, once, it get, once she gets back, that's a different dynamic. Um, but, man, I have a lot to talk to you about today. But first, I would love to go through some housekeeping things. Um, make sure you download our podcast just go to AFR.net, AFR.net, and the podcast page, you, there's a tab there. You can click podcast, and you, and if, you if you're interested in our podcast, Erin Addison's, you can download uh, the podcast there. Also, you can email us at Addison's at AFR.net, Addison's at AFR.net. And I also want to continue to um, bring your attention to, uh, your attention to In His Image, that's a documentary that's being put out uh, by AFS, uh, American Family Studios. Uh, it's a great resource for your church, for your pastor, for, for you, you know, for families. Um, every church in America is filled with hurting people asking these tough questions. Can you be gay and be a Christian? What if someone genuinely feels trapped in the wrong body? Did God make me this way? Is, is change even possible? And so this documentary will answer a lot of those questions, all of those questions, really. And there's some great uh, people who are involved in that. So I would like for you to register to watch the special sneak preview for free and stay updated about the premiere on October 20th. Uh, this, the, the preview um, has life changing testimonies of a former LGBT individuals featured in a doc- documentary behind the scenes. Look at spiritual warfare behind the making of such a controversial film. And a message from uh, President Tim Wildman. So go to inhisimage.movie, inhisimage.movie, and make sure you check that out. Also, there is, and let me get my paper here, there's a living the gospel during difficult times. I guess you would call it a rally or a town hall. Uh, join Rob Chambers, Vice President of AFA Action, for an encouraging event, living the gospel during difficult times. And this one is happening in the Birmingham area. Let me see if I can pronounce this word. Silicoga, Silicaga, Alabama. Jerry, is that right? All right. <laughs> Silicaga, Alabama. That's, that was a hard one for me. Uh, Wesley Wildman, Vice President of Outreach for American Family Association, will be the MC and will moderate our town hall. Wesley is the grandson of Don Wildman and the son of Tim, Tim Wildman. The speakers, Walker Wildman and Abraham Hamilton III, will be the speakers for the evening. And, I, man, it's going to be a great time. I have not been to one of these because they've been in uh, different areas. 
But I hear from Abraham all the time about how great it is to meet you guys and what God is doing at these different events. It sounds like it's very, very encouraging uh, and just uh, just a real kind of like booster, <laughs> a booster shot, you know, uh, as we go along. And so make sure you go to afa.net uh, slash events, afa.net slash events, and you can find out how to sign up. Uh, for that event there. So I think they need you to register. So make sure you go and register for that. Also, next week, we have our share October 13th to the 15th. And this year's theme is Our Living Hope. The scripture reference is 1 Peter verse 1, 3 through 9, as my custom is. I'm going to read that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, uh, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your fate, the salvation of your souls. That's our theme for our Sheraton coming up. Make sure you pray and see what the Lord is laying on your heart to give uh, in order to uh, continue this great ministry that's going forward with AFA. You know, there's a lot that we do, and it's, man, you're a partner. You're a part of of, of everything that's done here. So uh, next week, October uh, 13th to the 15th, will be our share So be praying about that. All right. Well, this Friday, this Gumbo Friday, um, I want to talk about something Another topic that's real close to my heart, and it has it's kind of similar to the topic of yesterday. Yesterday we talked about marriage and family and how the views about the types of families, you know, people are becoming more and more indifferent about that. But I want to take a moment to talk about discipleship in the home and raising kids to be ready. Raising kids to be ready, raised to be ready. And I was reading in uh, Daniel chapter one, and I want to read just some of that portion of Daniel chapter one, uh, because this is a great example of uh, young men who were raised in such a way that they were ready to be thrust into the culture that they were going to be thrust into and still stand strong for God. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, sorry, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God, lowercase g's, right? Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, 
And he'd ordered, he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration uh, from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah was Daniel, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has appointed you food and your drink, your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are on who, who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearances uh, be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And he listened to them in, a, in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, I'm going to stop right there as far as that portion of scripture and just point out a few things. There were certain sons of Israel that were taken into captivity into Babylon and they were exceptional young men, exceptional boys. Uh, the word would be, uh, would have been used there to describe them would be Yaled, boys. They were young. They were, they were uh, a boy, a child, or a son. So maybe about 14, 15 years old. Um, so these were young men. Now, there were some who were from royal families, some of uh, noble families that was a part of uh, this group that was taken. Uh, they would have no defect to be good-looking, show intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability of serving in the king's court. So they were to be taken and they were to be indoctrinated. They were ordered to be taught literature and language of the Chaldeans. So they were, they were taken out of their land, <laughs> you know, and they were brought into another situation where of most importance was that they were to be indoctrinated with the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. They were to eat a certain diet, and the king appointed for them a daily ration from the uh, king's choice food and from the, the wine which he drank, and appointed that they would be educated or indoctrinated three years. So they was under this indoctrination of the learning the language learning the culture, learning the literature and all this stuff and eating this certain diet for three years, this was supposed to happen. And at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. 
This is indoctrination. They're changing uh, uh, everything about them. So the scripture goes on to highlight that out of this group, four young men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from Judah, they were highlighted. They were, not, they were not only indoctrinated and forced to learn a new language and history, but they were stripped of their names and given Babylonian names. So picture that. These young men, 14, 15 years old, brought into a new situation where, man, now they have to learn a whole another, another language, another language, the culture, the history, the literature. Their names have been stripped away. They've been given new names. And these names, you know, uh, that they have been given, they had parts of uh, false gods within the name. So Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, to mean protect his life or lady, protect the king. And Belit was the wife of Bel, a Babylonian god. Hananiah, which meant Yahweh has been gracious, was changed to Shadrach, command of Aku a Sumerian moon god, or I am very fearful of God. The names have been, and this was of importance, you know, because names meant something. <laughs> names meant, meant something. Uh, Messiel, uh, who is what God is? That's what his name means. Who is what God is? To Meshach, I am a little, I am of little account. <laughs> and Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Yahweh has helped. And then to Abednego, servant of the shining one, perhaps a, a wordplay that includes the god Nebu. So their names were changed. They were stripped of their culture. They were forced to learn this new uh, language and uh, to take on this new history, this new literature. All this was indoctrination. They were under severe indoctrination. I'm going to continue on with this. Because I want to go somewhere. Because just as they have been indoctrinated, they were indoctrinated in Babylon. There's indoctrination happening in America right now. And we have to be ready as parents to understand what's going on and make sure that we are raising our kids in such a way that they're ready. That they're ready. That they're ready to go out when this culture is, is, is trying to shift them to the right and to the left. That they will be uh, unmoved because of the word of God, because of the discipleship that they have gotten in the home. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'll be back right up to this. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, again, holding it down, the program, sending you greetings from the Addison family. We're doing well. Praise God for that. Uh, today, we were talking about uh, being ready, being raised to be ready, raised to be ready. And we was talking uh, about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and how they had been 
really, you know, they were, they were going to be indoctrinated under this new culture to take on a new language, um, to learn a new history, to, to read this literature. They, they were given new names. Like, this is some severe indoctrination. They were like, and for three years, they were, they were, they were supposed to learn this stuff, the ways of the Chaldeans, for three years under this intense training to be the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so they were taken because of their abilities and, they, they, you know, they, they showed some promise and, you know, but they were going to be indoctrinated. And basically they wanted to try to erase what they had already received and give them a whole new history, a whole new language, another name. That's indoctrination. And, and again, we say that these were Yaled. They were boys. They were boys when it went into uh, captivity. They were boys. Uh, it, it said that when, when Daniel was in the lion's den, he was about 80 years old when that happened. That, this was a long period of time. He was under a lot of different kings. But God had a lot of favor upon him uh, and, and, his, uh, and his partners. Say it like that. That's how we say it in New Orleans. But um, so Daniel and, and his friends, they were being in, indoctrinated in the ways of the Chaldeans. But we go down to verse 8 in Daniel chapter 1. And, and it says, but Daniel, and this stuck out to me, but Daniel, he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So all these other things, it, it seemed like Daniel didn't really raise a question, you know, okay, you want me to read this literature and I have to learn this new language? And he didn't even say, it doesn't say in the, in the scripture that he raised anything about the name change. But when it came down to verse 8, he said, but Daniel made up his mind at that point. It's like this is the line for Daniel. So Daniel in this moment appears to be, to emerge as the leader of the four young men. And he said, hold on, I'm not going to defile myself uh, with this diet, with this, you know, with the king's choice meats. Um. And he seemed willing to take on all the other things. So that, that, that kind of stuck out to me. Why is that? Why, why would he, you know, uh, be all right embracing this other stuff? But then when it comes down to the diet, he's like, wait, 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 wait. Let, let's stop right here. Well, I mean, it could have been that the food was offered to idols, but it seemed like the names had some, you know, false guys in them. So that may not be why. Um, Maybe it was the eating of the unclean animals. Um, it could have been eating from the king's table put an obligation of honor and commitment to the king. Because reading up on this a little bit, according to Eastern, Eastern uh, practices, uh, to eat someone's food was to commit oneself to, to friendship of covenant significance. So that was something that was about eating from the king's table that didn't set well with Daniel. And he was like, we have to draw the line here. So I would submit to you that all of the learning of the Babylonian language, the culture, the literature, and even them being given new names seemed like it had really no effect on them. Why? Because they had already been previously, they had been previously indoctrinated. These boys were indoctrinated already. They knew their God. They knew Yahweh. So they were indoctrinated previously. Therefore, 
the indoctrination of the Babylonians didn't stick. It didn't stick. So they can go into those realms and confidently know that they weren't going to be moved and shaken away from the God of Israel. They may have been living in Babylon now, but their heart. How did Daniel pray? He prayed looking towards Jerusalem. He prayed with his heart still set towards, you know, the place of God. So what I'm saying here is the indoctrination happened well before they got to Babylon. And the first ones who, who, who was able to get in with the indoctrination, that's the one that wins. And I'm saying for our culture today, with our children, we better not, we better stop being so lax and so slow and so full of apathy about what they're learning and receiving from school, from their peers, man, even from some church groups like youth groups and stuff like that. The first instruction should begin at home, at home. Whoever indoctrinates first wins. So in these young men, in their lives, they were indoctrinated already. So when the Babylonian, you know, uh, captivity came and they were brought into exile and all this stuff and they were forced to learn this new language and, and learn this all this stuff. Man, it didn't set in. They had already been rooted and grounded in the scripture, in the word of God, in God, in who Yahweh was, in, in what and in how he delivered his people. Their hearts didn't turn because of the much learning of the Chaldeans and this literature and all this stuff that they could take in. They were rooted and grounded. They were solid. They were solid. That's what I'm attempting to point out, that whoever's, whoever gets the indoctrination first, they win. This culture is attempting to indoctrinate our children from every angle. The schools. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the schools, the media, the movies, music. They use every ounce of their resources uh, that they have to get into the minds of our children while we are oftentimes very lazy in our approach. If we understood the, the, the importance of this Man, we would put resources behind it. We would like do training. How can we help in our churches to, to train our parents, you know, how to raise their kids, how to, you know, to do this, to, to be disciple makers in the home? See, the reason these young men, as you read through the book of Daniel, are able to thrive under pressure, why they didn't faint in a day of adversity, the reason that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had no need to convene on if they would bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image, why they didn't have to discuss it and say, you know, should we bow down? Ah, oh, man, you know, they're talking about this fiery furnace. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to talk about it. They already knew we're not bowing down and that our God, is, he, he would deliver us. But even if he don't, he's able, but even if he don't, we will not bow down. That had to be grown in a time of discipleship, of knowing who they were, you know, as the people of God before they came to Babylon, before they were exiles. That didn't that didn't come about, you know, as they were in Babylon. They all of a sudden they had this conviction that they couldn't be shaken off of. This happened while they were in Judah. They were being taught. They were being, you know, discipled. In their home, in their schools, wherever they were, they were being taught who God is, 
So when they came to these moments, they didn't bow down. The reason that Daniel continued praying to God with his window wide open, his face toward Jerusalem three times a day, when there was an edict that said you couldn't do it, was because he had already been indoctrinated to a point where all the power and the allure of the mighty Babylon could not move them off of their Yahweh worship. They couldn't be moved. But this happened before time. And what I'm telling you today is that we got to take seriously our jobs. This is for all of us. This is for me, everybody that's listening to have children, grandchildren. That man, the enemy is playing for keeps. We get a lot of emails about, oh, man, you know, I know this now, but back then when I was raising my, my children, you know, man, I didn't understand how important it was that in the home that we did these things. Man, and, and, and it's, it's sad, and I understand that because you only can really do what you know. But, man, as the body of Christ within our churches, you know, leaders, we need to teach this type of stuff, that the home is, is, is where it is that we have to get things right there, that our children should be learning about the ways of God in, in the home, learning how to worship God in the home. The church is great, but the church is supplemental in a lot of ways to what's being done in the home. You can't just bank on going to church on a Wednesday, going to church on, on, on the Sunday, and, and that's it. There's nothing else that happens during the week. This is an everyday walk, and the enemy is playing for keeps. Are we raising our children to be ready for this modern day Babylon? There are pressures on pressures on every hand. Well, there are statues being erected right now in our culture saying you better bow down to BLM. You better say Black Lives Matter. You better bow down to critical race theory. You better bow down to sexual deviancy. Are our kids raised to be ready. That's my question. Are our kids raised to be ready? Raised to be ready. Now, at this point, I want to bring in a story that I've had for a moment, and uh, I think it just pairs greatly with what we're talking about today. Now, in, in Fairfax, Virginia, there's a school district that spent $24,000 on Ibram Kendi books for U.S. history classes. Now, some of you may say, who is, who is that? Ibram Kendi. Well, we're going to talk about him. But I just want to read some portions of this article from uh, The Federalist. And man, this is one of the ways that the world is attempting to indoctrinate our kids. Now, I know everyone under the sound of my voice will not be able to homeschool. You know, and this is not bashing anything like that. But what I'm saying is, if, if our children are in school, whether they're homeschool, in school, wherever, we, we have to put a higher premium on what we're doing in our home. Because there's a lot that's happening, and the enemy is making chess moves. We're playing checkers. <laughs> so this, is, this happened in Fairfax County, Virginia. And I'm just going to read some of this article as it is. Uh, it says, sitting in their living rooms, kitchens, and dining rooms on the morning of August 6th, Principals, teachers, and other leaders from Fairfax County Public Schools in Northern Virginia uh, tuned into an exclusive one-hour conversation with author Ibram Kendi. And the cost? 
$20,000 or 333.33 per minute of the chat. So this, this writer says because they were, they were curious about what was going on in their son's school district, that they were spending all this money for the celebrity author, they looked more into it. And they found out, according to the Fairfax County Public School spokeswoman, Lucy Caldwell, the school district spent $24,000 on books by Kendi peddling the ideology of critical race theory and anti-racism as required reading for K through 12 students. Indoctrination. Indoctrination. So if your child is in this district and look, I, I want to I want us to like get away from the well, that's not happening in my place. You know, we have a small town and look, this is spreading, y'all. I, I don't want us to be ignorant to, towards the enemy, enemy's devices. This is spreading. It's spreading. It's in uh, certain denominations and our churches. It's spreading through academia big time. That's where it started. Colleges and universities. It is spreading now down to the schools. They're having required reading of Ibram Kendi's books, who is a superstar in the realm of critical race theory and stuff like that. So that means Fairfax County spent, um, so they, they spent a total of $44,000 on promoting Kendi for this one event, almost an entire salary for a first-year teacher. So they spent all this money to bring critical, critical, critical race theory into the schools. Anti-racism, white privilege, all this stuff that they want to talk about. So Fairfax County School Board members and the school superintendent, Scott Brabrand, um, they're coming under fire for their relationship with the, the star critical race theory, the star of, of, of this theory. And they should because they're bringing this stuff into the schools and, and making it required reading for the students. Why? Why, why are you trying to teach this as history? This writer goes on to say, we should all care because there's a lot of wrong with critical race theory. Yes. This past weekend, for example, uh, in a dig at a new Supreme Court nominee, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, a white woman who adopted two black children from Haiti, Kendi, the author of these books, who they're putting in the schools, referred to white parents who adopt black children as white colonizers. I have the I have his quote right here, what he said on his Twitter account. He said, some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. What? See, man, this guy, his books are being put in schools. Hateful. Because she adopted children from Haiti, and she's white, and they're Haitian. She's colonizing them. She's colonized and trying to civilize savages. What? You know, he's, he's trying to make it like... <sighs> like they're trying to make them white Americans. It's crazy. This is Aaron Addison's American Family Radio. Be right back. 
This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, and I'm Will Addison, that's KB, with This Is Life. Um, we've been talking about, are our kids raised to be ready? Raised to be ready. And I just um, read a, a quote from Ibram X. Kendi, who, in Virginia, they are using his books to teach a U.S history classes and he's a, a champion of critical race theory intersectionality and all that stuff that has uh, really been spreading around uh, our, our country here and uh, in so many different ways and they got to get to the kids they got to get to the children another part of his comment he said and whether this is Barrett or not talking about Amy Coney Barrett uh, is not the point it is a belief too many white people have. If they have or adopt a child of color, then they can't be racist. <laughs> this guy's books are being put into schools for history. That's what I'm saying. You have to raise your child to be ready, raised to be ready. This is something that we have to do in the home, because if we're sending our children to the schools and they're teaching this type of stuff, they, they're going to, man, if they're not ready, they will be moved right along in the same way of critical race theory and, and uh, you know, anti-racism, whatever they, they like, to, like to call it, you know, but they're going to go in that direction. They're going to go in that direction of seeing everything through the lens of, of color, of feeling, you know, oppressed or, you know, if you're melanated or feeling like you have privilege if, if you're less melanated or guilty. if All this stuff, they, they're trying to teach this in our schools. So back to this article from the Federalist, and I'll open up the phone lines, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. The writer goes on to say a key to the, uh, this strategy of indoctrination they use the word right here, is getting the books of ideologues into the hands of students as required reading. That's exactly what has happened in Fairfax County in the weeks after Kendi's uh, $20,000 one-hour conversation. That's exactly what they're doing. They're making this required reading because they're trying to indoctrinate. They're trying to indoctrinate. And so the contract that the Penguin Random House Speakers Bureau signed with the school district for Kendi's talk included an important clause, number 10, simply entitled books. So the contract stated uh, it is understood that the sponsor, meaning the Fairfax uh, School District, will arrange to have the speakers books available for purchase and or giveaway. They want to get these books in the hands of these students by any means necessary. That's what they're saying. The contract further stated either the sponsor may purchase copies of the books authored uh, by the speaker directly from Penguin Random House or from another retailer. This is crazy, y'all. 
This is crazy. So trying to defend their position, uh, the school board's decision uh, of, of Kendi being the speaker, Caldwell said, FCPS recently invited Dr. Ibram X. Kendi to speak to school leaders about his book, How to Be Anti-Racist, as part of the school's division's work to develop a caring culture, one of the goals of the FCPS strategic plan. <laughs> they try to word it in such a way, Wes, how, you, how could you dare be against something like this? How could you dare be against something like this? Real quick, I want to uh, uh, play a clip from the uh, debate, the presidential debate, where Chris Wallace asked about CRT and racial sensitivity training. And he asked the president uh, about this. This month, your administration uh, directed federal agencies to end racial sensitivity training that addresses white privilege or critical race theory. Why did you decide to do that, to end racial sensitivity training? And do you believe that there is systemic racism in this country, sir? I ended it because it's racist. I ended it because a lot of people were complaining that they were asked to do things that were absolutely insane, that it was a radical uh, revolution that was taking place in our military, uh, in our schools, all over the place, and you know it, and so does what, everybody what, what else. Radical, and he would know. What is oh, radical totally about racist. racial sensitivity training? Sir. If you were a certain person, you had no status in life. It was sort of a reversal. And if you look at the people, we were paying people hundreds of thousands of dollars to teach very bad ideas and, frankly, very sick ideas. And, and really, they were teaching people to hate our country. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow that to happen. We have to go back to the core values of this country. They were teaching people that our country is a horrible place, it's a racist place, and they were teaching people to hate our country. And I'm oh, not going to allow that to happen. Man, I agree with President Trump. And I was almost surprised that this question came up. That shows you how big this is, that, that this is a thing, y'all. And as I read from this article that's happening in Virginia, not only in Virginia, where they're trying to get these books into the curriculum, into the classrooms, where, you, where, where students can have these books as required reading, talking about critical race theory, like the president said, because it's racist. What they're doing is racist. And, and, and it's, it's crazy, you know. So he was posed this question in Chris Wallace. Well, what, what's so bad about, you know, what's so bad about racial sensitivity training? Man, that look, the way they try to make these things so flowery and, and sound so good and all this is why, why would you be against that? You got to dig a little deeper and see what this stuff is about. It's Marxism. It's Marxism. The end of it, man, is, is destruction. It's destruction. And, and the president is right. They're trying to teach very bad things within the schools. They're trying to teach, very, to teach children to hate the country. And so let's see what Joe Biden's response was to this question. Vice President Biden? Nobody's doing that. He's just, he's oh, you, racist. You, you, nobody's doing Here's that. Here's the deal. I, I know a lot more about this. Than Let him finish. <laughs> the fact is that there is racial insensitivity. People have to be made aware of what other people feel like, what, what insults them, what is demeaning to them. It's important that people know they don't want to. Many people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but it's, it makes a big difference. 
It makes a gigantic difference in the way a child is able to grow up and have a, self, a sense of self-esteem. It's a little bit like how this guy and, and his friends look down on so many people. They look down their nose on people like Irish Catholics like me and grew up in Scranton. They look down on people who don't have money. They look down on people who are of a different faith. They look down on people who are a different color. In fact, we're all Americans. The only way we're going to bring this country together is bring everybody together. There's nothing we cannot do if we do it together. We can take this on and we can defeat racism Vice in America. President. Look, the people that's peddling this stuff, they're not trying to bring people together. They're trying to divide. They're not trying to, the CRT and all that critical race theory and all that stuff is dividing. And I think it, it tells a lot. When, when Joe Biden first came on, he said, oh, that's not happening. What? He don't, and President Trump was like, you don't even know. He, Joe Biden, have, either he don't have a clue for real or he's just acting, you know, like he don't know what's going on. But this is real. This is what they're doing. Let me go to the phone lines. Uh, let's go now to John in North Carolina. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Good. Um, you know, I have had, I live in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and two years ago I had a horrible experience with the state-run school system. Mm-hmm. Um, to cut to the chase, the school basically attempted to take the role of the parents mm. without and, and, and indoctrinate my first grader mm-hmm. about uh, suicide. Wow. wow. They had taken a 30-minute online course over the summer. Mm-hmm. My daughter goes to school on the second week at a new school, she's a little teary. We had a rough morning. One of the teachers notices that she is upset, pulls her aside, says, How, what's going on? My daughter says, sometimes I don't want to be here. Mm. The teacher immediately asked her if she was considering Man. See? Wow. Wow. Within 15 minutes, they had taken her through the complete protocol, asking her if she had a plan. She said she didn't even know what suicide was. Hmm. They said it's where you kill yourself and Man. don't come back. Wow. This happened in 20 minutes. Wow. And when I came in, I came in hot. Yeah, I bet you did. Restrained. <laughs> restrained but hot man i asked them why they didn't call me first yeah they said because sometimes the parent is the problem wow well john let me just say man that's that's an example of what that's one example of what i'm talking about here like man we have to know what's going on with our children in in these schools you know, and again, I don't. I'm just. Not, I'm not trying to blame all the schools and everything. But man, I'm telling you, there's there's a effort afoot, and it's been this way for a, a long time to really indoctrinate our kids to 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 teach them things that they don't need to know at at the age that they are right now. Some things that parents need to share that we should be sharing. They're they're getting a jump on sharing that with with our children, and whoever has the indoctrination, whoever gets to the indoctrination first, wins. They win. 
And it's being played out in our culture. If you look at who's doing all this rioting and stuff like this, it's young people. It's young, young people. People who are burning stuff up, you know, who hate the country. Some of them may have grown up in Christian homes. Man, we got to wake up. Let's go to Preston in Mississippi. Hi, Preston. Preston, you there? Hello, Preston. All right. I heard something in the background, but didn't hear him. So let's try uh, Joshua in Virginia. Hi, Joshua. Well, my brother. Yes. So good to talk to you. Yes. God bless you. I love God you. God bless you. I love all the listeners. I just want to say a few things, if you don't mind. I want yes. to give you some serious props for um, using, uh, talking about the names, talking about the Hebrew boys' names and how they were changed. Mm. Talking about Yahweh. Um, mm. Yahweh is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's his name. Exodus 3.15 is his name for all generations. Uh, everywhere in the Bible you see Lord capital letters, it's Yahweh. His word in the flesh is Yeshua. His mm. word. Only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, his word became Yeshua, our, our salvation, our, our God in the flesh. And the thing is, is his commandments, his law, his Torah, this, the truth, the Bible says that his word is truth. The thing is, is that even in Christianity, there's been some indoctrination. We've been saying, well, this doesn't apply to us. That's for the Jews. This part of the law is not. This part of God's word is not. But Satan tries to chip away. Each little thing he can get us to give away or to disobey, it's going to allow us to get further and further from the truth. But what did the Savior and Master say? The greatest in the kingdom is he who teaches the commands, the laws, and obeys them. That's how we're going to stop. That's how we're going to prevent indoctrination. That's how we're going to avoid all this wickedness is because when we repent, we're turning away from sin. What is sin? First John 3, 4. Sin is transgression of the Torah, of God's law. We get back to walking in his ways and his commands like our master did. We will re refute and we will go against and re re we'll just reject the wickedness and the indoctrination of this world. We teach our kids to walk in that thank and we stay in that. Thank you, Joshua. Come against us. God bless you. Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate those words. You know, um, yeah, we need to walk according to the word of God. Amen. And, you know, and that's what's going to keep us from being indoctrinated and our kids. Like we got to stay close to the word of God, you know, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel like this. That has to happen in our homes. We have to have a robust teaching in our homes. We strive to do it in our per in our home. You know, now, do we get it right every time? You know, we, we try for consistency and to bring before our children the word of God, you know, unadulterated, just the word of God, you know, and sit down and talk with them, have these conversations, have these discussions about the word of God, these questions that they ask, you know, which are hard questions at, at times, you know, but man, we have to do it and we have to see it as a, a primary thing in our in our homes. Let's go to David in Iowa. Hi, David. Hey, how you doing, Will? Doing hey, good. First time caller. So, hey, glad to get with you. Pray your blessings upon me getting a new baby. Thank you. Um, we want to talk about this critical race theory stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm glad President Trump uh, stopped that. Uh, I know that I've worked in the department that we work with a lot of families in, in, in the system, and mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out a way that how can we sort of work diversity in. But, man, they had us go through this training of, uncomfortable conversation with a black man but mm. the training was more guilt written I mean it was like you know they adopted some black kids and it made like it was trying to sit, make them feel guilty wow and I'm 
that's not what what we need, you know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Now I'm sorry. I have to to go. We're running out of time, uh, David. But that's the great point. We have to be strategic. We have to be vigilant in this whole thing. If not, we're gonna lose. Whoever indoctrinates first wins. Have a good weekend. God bless.